If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hi guys, welcome to the show. I have a fantastic guest on the line with me today. I'm talking to Pia Silva. So Pia is the partner and brand strategist of Worst of All Design. She and her husband started a company to help startups and service business build badass brands without the BS. She's a contributor on Forbes and a bunch of other authority websites. And she's a member of the prestigious entrepreneurs organization, um, forget who that was founded by but anyway she's here to talk to us about her business worst of all design how she got started how she's helping companies around the globe build badass brands so pia welcome to the show could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business yeah thank you so much for having me i'm happy to share what i can with you guys uh yeah i built this business with my husband to help small service businesses, people who are either solopreneurs, freelancing, or, you know, partnerships, um, selling their expertise. And I found that a lot of people in that position, myself included, have struggled. Everyone has experienced the struggle of trying to find clients um, while simultaneously managing the clients that you have and trying to get paid enough in the process. And I don't know about you, but at one point, I was working 24-7 and still not getting paid anything, yeah. and the whole thing doesn't make sense. So, you know, we evolved our business into helping other small businesses like us build a brand so that they can charge a premium price and attract the kind of clients they want so that they don't have to work all the time and they can still produce amazing results. Let's let's talk about the beginning, the early stages, because you went through some really heavy stuff, you know, when you started, you started a company three years into the company. What happens? You guys are losing money. So we started our business because my husband was a graphic designer and a freelancer at the time. And I said, I'm going to build a business around you. So that worked okay for about a year. And as we started to get traction and as I was networking and trying to get clients, I saw so many other, so many of my competitors had these little agencies. And I said, you know what? We need to build an agency. So we ended up hiring two employees. Um, We raised our prices. And the problem with that was that we were basically copying what we saw out there in the Mm -hmm. world. I call it being a me too brand. You know, we didn't know exactly why we were doing everything we were doing, but we did it because we saw other companies doing it successfully. And the problem with that is that it doesn't create a very compelling pitch or sale. And we ended up in about $40,000 of credit card debt um, exactly three years into our business because of it. What was the conversation like at the dinner table when you guys were thinking of ways to brainstorm and get yourselves out of the debt that you were carrying and um, trying to turn around your company from failing? Yeah, well, I mean, it really, the 40000 was our breaking point because that was the max. We had maxed out our credit cards. Yeah. So that really felt like our low point because there was literally nowhere else to go. Mm. We had spent our savings. So, <laughs> you know, I, it was, we had to make a decision and it was uh, it was one of the lowest points. I mean, it was by far the lowest point in my working life because uh, I just had no idea what was 
going to happen next. And I actually had a panic attack over this, this one night where I realized, you know, I'm going to owe payroll in two weeks. I don't know where that money's going to come from. And, um, it was actually my husband who said to me, you know, I think we have to let the employees go because they're so expensive. And I just, that just felt like admitting failure, you know, that yeah. felt like we were going to be caving in and giving up and closing up shop. And it was really, you know, he shifted my perspective when he said, you know, just because we get rid of the employees doesn't mean we're closing our business. And it, it certainly doesn't mean that we're failures. It just means we need to maybe do this a little differently, you know, and, and that was a huge turning point for our business. In typical relationships, money is usually an issue. And your husband and wife team, both in business and in life, did that really cause a lot of like fights between you guys? Or you guys were pretty much on the same page as much as you didn't want to admit that, you know, your husband was saying the right thing. You knew deep down in your heart that um, it, he was pretty much on the right track. Yeah, but you know, that's a really good question because... I think it would have been a much bigger issue for almost any other couple. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I am fortunate enough that my husband is like not concerned with the finances at all of our business. So while it was crushing in terms of I felt completely and solely responsible for, I mean, because I was, I took that on for the, you know, finding the clients, closing the deals and all of the cash flow. Mm -hmm. It also meant that it wasn't a, a struggle between us. He just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, because for him, you know, he really runs all of the creative and design and that's what he's amazing at. And he really let me handle the business at the time I had kind of run into the ground but <laughs> luckily he also gave me the motivation to get us back out of it. what you're saying is that he was staying in his lane doing the creative work you know making the company what it is and you were doing the operations work acquiring customers um, doing business development and just making sure that money's coming in to do whatever you guys need to do that's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. I, I actually, when people ask me, how do you work with your partner? I say, it's really important to have very clear roles that don't overlap. <laughs> you know, yeah. as long as you have defined roles, then you're not stepping on each other's toes. And of course, you have to trust that the other person is able to handle whatever is their job. So how did you get out of this? Because I remember reading in your book, you had a conversation with your business coach. And that kind of was one of the things that sparked the idea of you, you know, coming up with this product that you had put to the side, which was not really your main product, but it turned out to be what practically saved your business. Yeah, it was so amazing. This this product that we had actually uh, developed the year before. So the previous year, we had been raising our prices very quickly um, and you know, our, our projects were starting at $30,000. And my business coach said, you know, you just priced yourself out of all of these people in your network who really want to work with you. So he said, why don't you just come up with something that you would be willing to do for them? You know, let's say $3,000 price point, what would you do for $3,000? Mm. So Steve and I, the, the previous year, we developed this thing called a brand up. And it was a one day intensive where the client came into the office, and we just did a whole bunch of stuff like we would do as much work as possible for them but the agreement was that at the end of the day 
that was it. They left with all their stuff and, you know, there was no other work. And so we hadn't really been pitching that uh, because I was really set on getting the big clients. And this whole mindset shift and pivot allowed us to open up our, our ideas to what might what else might be possible? And that's when we looked at this brand up and we said, oh my God, this brand up is amazing. Like this brand up, while at a much lower price point, $3,000 instead of Mm $30,000, it's actually way more profitable because we can do, if we did a brand up every single day, we'd be making bank, you know? (laughs) So making a lot more than we would uh, getting all these $30,000 clients. So that was the beginning of realizing that, you know, Get, uh, unsticking ourselves from what we thought we needed to do and realizing there was an opportunity sitting right in front of us. Um, and so that's how we pivoted. And we actually pretty quickly, like practically overnight, we changed our website copy and we doubled down on these brand ups and we only did that moving forward. And that's what shifted our entire business. Many businesses are stuck in an endless business development cycle where they try to get lunch, get coffee, try to meet up with potential clients and continually and repetitively pitch them for work. So what's the benefit of niching down properly and claiming a stake at a particular field and saying you're the expert or the or number one go-to guy or girl in a particular field? Yeah, well, it's really, for us, it's a combination of things. You know, it's it's the, the great work. It's the badass work. You know, we have this this uh, voice, brand voice, you know, badass brands without the bullshit. So that already attracts a certain kind of person, right? Yeah. And then we have this pretty unique process. We design entire brands in one to three day intensives. Um, and we're super specific about who we work with. We only work with one to three person service businesses. So right there, there's three touch points where somebody is going to figure out very quickly, even before speaking to me, whether or not they're pretty much an ideal candidate for us. And what that does is it creates a reputation in the market where we end up attracting our ideal clients to us and and nobody else. So, you know, while I do write for Forbes and I and I speak publicly and all of that, we built our business and were attracting those clients way before I was doing any of that. Um, it was purely based on reputation. And I think that the value of focusing like that is that it gives you something that you can build a reputation on and that value is exponential over time. I used to also spend all of my time networking and yeah. that's a very that's not that doesn't actually build value over time. That's just kind of a constant hunt for yeah. clients. Whereas yeah. building your brand is like building like a farm that's flourishing over time. So that's a huge a huge difference in in strategy. Yeah. And it just reminds me of something there's a guy that wrote a book I think it's called um Extreme Ownership Jocko Willink where he said something like discipline equals freedom. So he's basically mm-hmm. a former Navy SEAL, and he's just trying to teach people that, look, the more you stick with what you know you're good at, and the more you narrowly focus on just working on that one thing, that your strength, that's where you're going to build the most freedom in your life and in your business. And you seem to have created that with the three touch points in your business mm-hmm. you, you kind of make the customers self-select themselves so they know yeah. without you having to have a conversation that hey yeah I, I i'm the type of client that can work with her and somebody like a white shoe law firm in downtown manhattan is not going to come to 
uh, worst of all designers just because they know. Well, no, you'd be not. surprised. We attract they, they quite a few lawyers. Oh. <laughs> you'd be surprised because lawyers are badasses. Okay. You know, they really, some of them really are. So we've actually done quite a few lawyers, financial planners. Oh, okay. Because I know, yeah. I, mean, I understand the financial planners are all kinds. And we're just going to talk about um, your case studies. I love the case studies that you had in the book. So I think the, the one that really got my mind turning was um, Rosemary, Rosemary, I beg your pardon, the physical therapist. And mm-hmm. what was it like having that conversation with her? Because I don't think many physical therapists in medical school are taught a lot about branding or even this kind of branding and badass marketing that you were able to help her build her business out of. Yeah, it's definitely a new idea to a lot of people. So, you know, Rosemary is somebody that a physical therapist working like every other physical therapist, you know, weekly meetings, getting paid by the hour, by the session. But really, she also, just like us, had this other model that she had um, implemented a couple of times, which was this intensive working with just one client for a couple of weeks, you know, many hours each day. And the result was that she was able to heal somebody very, very quickly because she wasn't just doing physical therapy. She was doing nutrition and mindset, you know, um, meditation. And she was hitting all the touch points that helped this woman heal much, much faster. And it, it was such a new concept to her that she could just focus on you on working in that model. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, w- the reason is obviously it doesn't exist. You know, there is nobody out there doing that. And that I think takes a talk about a mindset shift to even mm-hmm. entertain the idea that you could offer something like that. But what I always say to clients is you've done it a couple of times. There are many more clients that want that too. You know, as long as you've already successfully done it, um, there's opportunity in the future. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing too is that people are afraid that they have bills to pay you know mortgage you know school fees tuition all that stuff and they're just not confident in the fact that in as much as they have this one really kick-ass ass i I keep saying kick-ass i want to say badass badass thing it's both it's kick-ass and badass okay (laughs) they have this one badass thing that they're good at but they're just like um unsure or they don't have the confidence that they'll be able to find that many people that will, that will pay for it, I think. So how do you... Okay, so let's put it this way. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a reluctant client unwilling to try what you were saying, and then just for giggles and shits, they ended up trying <laughs> it, and it's like blew their mind? Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? I meet resistance all the time. (laughs) Like this is, I am pushing people to do things that, that are not comfortable. I mean, I don't call it badass for nothing. They're badass brands because you have to have some serious guts to double down like that, Mm. um, on something specific. But, you know, um, I think you might remember the client stash wealth. We, we rebranded this financial firm. Um, they were very reluctant. Uh, basically in short, what we did was we productized their financial plan. So some 
something that they were used to including in the fee once they onboarded an uh, assets under management client. Yeah. We said, let's take it out, let's productize it, and let's sell it as its own thing. And they said, we're going after people with less money, and you want us to charge them for something we don't normally charge for? Mm. And I said, absolutely, this is a totally different market, and they buy differently. So it actually took them uh, a good six months before they even had the confidence to try to sell it. And after they sold a couple, then it was off to the races. You know, then it was exponential growth. Um, and sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes clients are kind of half and half. Yeah. And then when they make their first or second sale, then then that's it. Then the, the gates are open. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with that constantly. And, and it ends up being that a lot of my job is really to boost their confidence and to tell them, you know, it's scarier to keep doing what you're doing, which is not working. working. You know, you want something different to happen. You need to do something different. different yeah. Yeah, the home of the Henrys. I actually Googled them once yeah. I got to that because I was like, oh, man, this sounds like such a cool thing. I would want to put my retirement money into. Yeah. So I checked them out and it, cool. and it was so, so their branding is off the hook. I mean, I just Thank love the colors. You. Every Everything that had to do with the website was like, take my money and just <laughs> let, let me rest. So um, going back to like your name now, you call yourself... Um, Worst of all, which kind of has a funny origin. I'll let you tell the story. But um, um, have you ever felt that like people judged you prematurely just because they see, hey, worst of all design? Why, why, why would I want to do business with a company that calls themselves worst of all? And then they take a chance on working with you and they find that, no, it's actually just you know a play on words that is just a way to brand yourself in a badass way. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, do I think and quite uh, much more than that? I people tell me all the time, oh, you shouldn't, especially in the beginning, you should change your name. You know, okay. that doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to be worst of all? Um, to which I always respond, no, it's okay. You're just not our client <laughs> because <laughs> you're not understand like you thinking that our name is somehow undermining our work is you not understanding what we're all about. And that's totally fine because for every person that says that to me, there are three other people who email me or call me and say, oh my God, I love your name. Yeah. I love your brand. You know, so it's it's about this magnetic attraction and it's okay to repel the rest. You don't, I don't need that many clients. You know, I just want the fans. So I, I would say that we don't, we very infrequently have a client who is like doing it despite the name. Usually our clients are really gung ho from the beginning. Um, <clears throat> the only people I have, I can think of someone specifically, I won't call her out, but the only client I can think of recently that you could tell she, she doesn't get the name. She's a little bit older, um, but she knew me through through business stuff. So she trusted me completely. And so she kind of just thinks it's so funny. She's like, I can't believe I hired this company, you know, cause she's so prim and proper. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she gets it now because she's badass now and she's badass in her way. You know, it's not about, it's not about making her brand like ours, you know, contrarian. It was about making her brand badass for for her industry and and very specifically to what was authentic to her, you know. So it's not like it's all you know bullshit this and whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what I'm getting for that is basically there's this um, theory by a guy called Kevin Kelly. So he talks about having the 1,000 true fans 
and the 100 true customers. And I think that's what basically you branding yourself this way kind of did for you. You separate yourself from the millions of people that could possibly want branding work around the world to just the 1,000 true fans that are like, oh my gosh, worst of all design, that's such a kick-ass name. I want to do business with these guys. And then you're not... Um, I believe the in business, a lot of people are kind of greedy. They always want the, you know, oh, let me make a million dollars this month and then next month let me make $2 million and the next month $3 million. You're like, oh, no, you you want to have the balance between, you know, work, life. You, you know the exact amount of customers you need that will sustain and run your business. And then, you know, you want to use the rest of your free time to do whatever you want to do, paint, travel the world, learn some new skills, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really important. In fact, it's one of the first questions I ask clients when they start with us and they don't know that this is coming, but I ask them, you know, what does success look like to you? What does your life look like in three years? I really want to understand because your business needs to be built around what you want to do every day. Because if you hate what you're doing every day, you're not going to build a successful business. Um, and, And for me, I love working with clients and I love working in this intensive way. And, you know, we completely transform businesses like in right in front of their eyes. And it's really fun because you know, I know it's coming, but they don't. And they're always like really excited, obviously. Um, but I, but it's an exhausting thing to do. So I also like to write, you know, and I like to learn. And like you said, I just started, I just started taking singing lessons for fun. Like I want to have time to do stuff like that. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. And uh, I love how you took some lessons from dating and applied that to business because oh my gosh my next book is going to be a dating book oh really (laughs) because it's the same thing yeah there's so many parallels (laughs) so many parallels because i'm thinking okay first of all when you mentioned you know you were at the bar with your friends and they were trying to discourage you from like going to talk to i believe that was your husband right because you didn't really make it yeah yeah okay so but basically what it is was that you kind of like had branded yourself to be um, you know, you, you tell the story. You've branded yourself as the chick that wants a certain type of guy. And um, for the longest, well, I don't know if it's for the longest time, but you had a hard time, like, getting the right guy just because you knew what you wanted. You positioned yourself for what you wanted. And most guys did not fit that bill. So you had some heartbreak until you met this one guy that actually fit the bill, but he didn't even want a relationship. But guess what? He got one anyway, and he's... You're married to him now. So how, how how did you like you know observe that parallel between dating and business? And then were you really conscious of it as a single in where was it Miami? Uh, Miami, New York. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm definitely a serial monogamist. So it's it was uh, really in between boyfriends that <laughs> that I I adapted this strategy, which was just kind of you know meet and hang out with lots of people and quickly you know just be myself and mm. if and and also really try to get to know them 
quickly, you know, like I, and I don't think I did it in like a calculated way, but okay. you know, I'm a very open person. And if I tell you something that's like very personal and it freaks you out, then, you know, then you're not the kind of person that I probably like vibe with that much, you know, yeah. but Steve, my husband, he's also a very open person. So we immediately just were, you know, talking all night and just sharing our most intimate thoughts and <laughs> feelings. And we just, connect. I mean, we ended up moving in together, like within months and, uh, like sharing our bank account, like as soon as we met each other. I mean, we were, it was very quick, but everybody else that I had dated previously, you know, they got freaked out or they just wouldn't call me back. And I didn't even, you know, it would hurt sometimes, but I wouldn't really put much effort into it or thought into it. It would kind of be like, all right, fine. And that's not the right person for me, you know, like next, um, meet a lot of people and, and find the one that really loves the person that you are as opposed to trying to be someone that you think they'll like. Yeah. And it really, I mean, in retrospect, yeah, obviously I wasn't thinking about it as my brand, but when we were building our brand, I thought back and I said, oh my God, it's the exact same concept. Yeah. Just be your brand so hard that you attract the people you want to work with and forget everybody else. You don't need them. Yeah. So, um, like, I talk to my friends a lot about this and I used to always say that, look, whenever you go on a first date, everybody always sends, you know, their representative, their congressman, you know, to represent them on the first date. And then (laughs) most likely you're just going to get stuck playing that character throughout the relationship until when the real you starts coming out. And then, you know, the other person is like, huh, I don't like this real person. I liked I like the person I met before. You know, what happened to that guy? And now, right, exactly. So, the, your next book, have you started writing it already about dating? And I, I, I want to get some <laughs> thoughts on that because, um, this is kind of like a fun switch between business and just relationships. Because usually, a lot of like, take for example, um, in I forget where I was reading this, but basically, they were talking about how the whole internet marketing cycle is, mm-hmm. um, married off into like you know getting into a relationship and courtship so where you have you know the lead magnet is you yourself as a person and then you have you know the trip while you you meet the girl at the bar and you say hey you know can we go grab coffee with the intent of course of selling her the main product which is to go out with you on a date and then the next thing is you know several dates relationships and if you like her enough you, you go down the altar. So how, how, how does that translate to what you do with businesses? Is there a similar process for branding for businesses? Yeah, I love how you just outlined that. It's exactly, I mean, I was half kidding about this book. I I think it's, I have a lot of books I want to write, so we'll see which (laughs) one is next. Um, But I think you're you're totally on point. And the reason that there's such a clear parallel is because it's all relationships, you know? It's two strangers meeting, and then people and the two need to decide if they want to take the next step. Um, For us, we, we put our brand out there very strongly and we create lots of content. So I have found more often than not that when people do call me interested in hearing more and potentially working with us, they've poured through a lot of my articles already. So they're already really far down the pipeline. In fact, I would say that when I speak to a client, if they're an ideal client, my close rates 
practically 100% because they have so much information already about how we think, they understand who we're for, they understand our price points. They're they're only calling me because they're really close they're really, really interested. Yeah. Um, so, so that cuts out a lot of work for me because I think a lot of when people are more generic or more general, they're if they're you know I guess they probably feel lucky if they're fielding lots of calls, but they're probably talking to all kinds of people, and not a lot of them are necessarily looking for what they have to offer. Um, our next step, when I talk to someone, it's really just a fifteen-minute conversation because. Anybody who wants to work with us, they buy something called a brand shrink. And that's the first step. It's $950. We do an, a one hour, hour and a half interview. And this is when I get to know their business. And I write a strategy brief after that. And then I upsell them into the brand up, the intensive where we actually build their brand. And the reason I built this, and I've done this for a lot of clients very successfully, is it eliminates the free strategy sessions. It eliminates mm. the proposals that I used to spend hours on. Yeah. Um, it eliminates even like coffee dates. You know, I, I mean, people ask me for coffee sometimes. I'm like, there's no need. Let's have a conversation. If you're a good fit, you'll buy the brand drink. That's mm. it. So it really cuts through all the crap um, and allows me to spend my time doing what I do best, which is actually working on the person's business. Great. So it seems to me that you've taken this content marketing strategy to another level. So you're basically warming up your ideal clients with putting out articles and just writing, or getting scaring in. scaring them away. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, they're basically polarized towards it's doing bus good. business yeah. with you. Can you clarify what it means to actually um, position yourself as like, you know, the preeminent, you know, expert in your field? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I outline, I outline uh, a bunch of different ways to do this um, in my book. Each chapter is kind of one, a step closer to creating yourself as an expert and positioning yourself as a thought leader um, in your space. One of the things that I do, and I, I outline this in, I think it's chapter four, um, is the four angles of badassery. Yeah. So I've actually outlined four different points in which you can position yourself. And I say that you need at least two. So uh, in my experience, every client who has been successful has at least two of these points. Um, quickly, they are, uh, you know, very specific, narrow target market, a very uh, contrarian uh, brand voice, uh, a lead product and sales process, and then a bullseye product, a main offering that you are known for. And if you have two of those, you're already um, really pulling yourself out of the competition because few companies do this naturally. Mm. And then that paired with positioning yourself as an expert through your activities. And one of the things that I say uh, to do is to price like an expert. So you really can't get the respect of an expert if you're charging like a service provider, somebody mm. who's trading their time for money. You need to charge based on value. And that means that even though you're spending your time working for someone, you're not using the amount of time to determine how much you're charging them. You decide based on the value that they ultimately get. Um, so, so those are two quick ways. Uh, yeah. If you do both of those, you'll be ahead of 95% of your, your competition. Okay. So what's the best way to build an expert profile in, let's take, for example, I don't know, um, the photography space or something like that? Do they have to come out and write articles as well or do they have to be guests on podcasts? How, how, how do you get people to know you 
as the expert, I want to do business with you. Because that's another thing people are scared to do. A lot of people are scared to put themselves out there and to say, I'm this and I'm that, because they have that imposter syndrome where they feel they're not good enough to be representing themselves as the expert, like we've talked about earlier. Absolutely. Well, the beauty of this philosophy of narrowing your process and your offering is that you can actually, you don't necessarily have to be an expert right off of the bat. Um, When we did our brand ups at first for 3000, they were worth 3000. You know, we charge 15,000 for that now. Mm. It's a, it's a much different product now than it was then. So, you know, your price and your expertise are going to be you know, they're going to work together. So it's okay. Like as a photographer, for example, one of the questions I usually ask clients, um, is I ask them about their previous experience. So who are your favorite clients? What were your favorite projects? What projects have you done in the past that you just nailed it? You know, you did, you did your best work. Your clients were super happy. That's where I start by trying to find what that niche is, because it really should be based on what you do best and what, just like you were saying about the Navy SEAL, like, where do you excel? Start there. And then even if you're, okay, I excel there, but I don't feel like I'm the best. That's okay. If you focus there and you build your process and you do that process, let's say at a, at a minimal price point, but then you do it again and then you do it again and again and again, the same process for the same niche, you will build expertise like that. And you know what? You'll build expertise a lot faster than you would have if you were working generally with all kinds of people. Mm. So you're actually, you're actually putting yourself in a position to build your expertise very, very quickly. And then as you were asking, you know, what should you do? I mean, I always recommend writing, even if you don't feel comfortable, even if you're not going to publish it at first, writing your thoughts down, your point of view, that helps you develop what your point of view really is and what your voice is. Um, I mean, I just went through and deleted a lot of old blog posts that I'm like, what was I doing there? You know, it's like, that's how I learned how to write. Now I write for Forbes and I have a book, but five years ago when I started writing, I mean, oh, they were awful. (laughs) When I look back on them, they're really bad, but that's okay. You know, you, you can't learn until you do. So just start doing it. Yeah. So that brings me to, I think, the next step, which is um, there's a formula you had in your book, which is the 50, 25, 25 rules to profit and freedom. So let's talk a little bit about that before we transition into the next phase of the show. Okay. yeah. Well, um, in short, when you are delivering your services, uh, it's my belief that you want to well, first, you want to back into the price that you want to charge. And I think most people just charge based on what they think they can get. Mm-hmm. They try to get as much as they can. and that's a, or, or they base their prices on their competitors. Either way, it's a terrible way to price yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you price based on your competitors, first of all, you don't have no idea why they're pricing it that way. And yeah. most people don't price well. So you're just basing it off of something that's not very... Uh, thoughtful. And if you price just as much as you can get, um, well, first of all, you're usually not pricing it high enough, but also you don't really know what you can get because somebody that will pay you like John D'Amato in the, in the book, he's a photographer is a perfect example. He was struggling to get clients last year and he was charging very low rates. And when we helped him increase his price to three, five and $8,000 uh, sessions, which is 
10, 20, 50x what he was charging, he closed a, a few clients very, very quickly. Those clients would never have hired him at three hundred dollars uh, for headshots yeah. because they're not the kind of clients that want to pay three hundred dollars. They want to pay three thousand dollars. They mm. want to pay five thousand dollars. So as much as you can get is is not even reality because your price determines who hires you. Mm. So the fifty twenty five twenty five yeah. So the fifty twenty five twenty five rule basically says that you want to figure out how much you want to make and you want to make that based on 50% of your working time and you want to have 25% of your time put aside to build value in your brand and your business. Um, that's, that's a week a month that you want to spend full time, you know, writing content, marketing, building your skills, whatever it is, because that's how you build, um, the opportunity to increase your profitability moving forward. So it's work that builds on itself. And then the other 25% of time is supposed to be there for your freedom. You know, you can literally take a week off a month if you want. Um, and you need to have that space because that's your flexibility, you know. So w we do that. And sometimes we'll do four brand ups in a month, but then we won't work for the next month because we don't have to, you know. And, and we use that month to do something like write a book. So I think that flexibility is what entrepreneurs are looking for. That's why we go into business for ourselves because yeah. we want that freedom. Um, so that's what the 50-25-25 rule really dissects. Given things are changing so quickly, how do you stay up to date and prepare for new problems as they arise Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know if I'm doing this strategically or just out of a, a natural inclination, but I mean, I wrote the book originally because I wanted to learn how to write a book. And I wanted to learn how to self-publish a book on Amazon and what that really took and what that looks like mm. um, and what that launch would look like. And now I have those skills. And believe me, the first week it was out, you don't know how many of my colleagues called me and were like, I'm going to be writing a book soon and I'm going to need to pick your brain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like a lot of people want to talk to me now about this, this uh, experience that I had. So I did that because now I can turn around and advise my clients on that. And that makes me more potent. Um, but I'm also, I mean, I'm currently taking uh, Russ Rafino's class about, um, or his mastermind group program about um, doing online webinars and selling into coaching programs. I mean, I just want to learn all of that stuff, even if I don't ultimately, uh, yeah, if I, even if I don't ultimately uh, launch it myself, mm -hmm. I still think that all of these skills are very valuable because you're right. It's changing so quickly, and the more that the more we know about the greater picture, the more I can advise clients on the best steps to take. As we start to wind down, I have some wrapping up questions for you. So, who's an entrepreneur you admire, and why do you admire that person so much? Um, someone that everyone knows, <laughs> or someone in my in my own network. Um, it depends. Someone you, somebody that you look up to. So it could someone be someone I look up to. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, well, I have a, a mentor. Um. Her name is Daniela Corin, and she uh, she's in marketing. She actually built a um, a marketing company for the health space for hospitals and stuff. And it's not a space that I'm very familiar with, but she built this company as a single mom with two kids yeah. uh, by herself, and has since 
sold, built and sold multiple businesses, has invested in real estate. Like she is such a mogul, but what I love about her is not that she's been so successful. There are so many successful people, but that she does it with a lot of grace and ease. Like Mm. she doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by it. She kind of does what she does and, and still like lives and enjoys her life and travels. And so I really look at her as a model because I think it's one thing to just be grinding all the time. And yeah. I know I get in that mode sometimes because I'm so focused on trying to get something, but I want to do it the way she does it, which is very, um, it's like she does it and she also puts it down and is able to enjoy life. So I really look up to her. Nice. And, um, okay. Could you talk about a significant personal failure you've experienced in your life and how you recovered from it? Besides the debt? Yeah, well, yeah, besides the debt. Uh, well, that, that's, that's a business um, issue, but, you know. Gosh, that well, felt very personal. <laughs> no, it, no, it is personal, but it's like, you know, there's some times where, you know, to connect the dots, you know, because sometimes we might be going through business issues, but we might also be going through life stuff, you know. So yeah. that, that life stuff yeah. that, you know, people don't see and they won't get to know from the book. Yeah, I mean, I have dealt with a lot of um, physical stuff. I mean, I know people have physical health issues. Mm. I personally have been plagued by migraines my Mm. whole life. Um, Very debilitating migraines that knock me off my feet. And I used to say that I always worked for myself because I never felt like I could ever have a job. Because there are days, there are many days where I just have to be in bed and I can't do anything. Um, and I've spent a lot of time over the last 10 years trying lots of different things, changing and modifying my lifestyle in more and more extreme ways. I mean, I live a very healthy lifestyle right now because I'm managing and trying to, you know, minimize the number of these migraines that I get. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's like we all have, struggles like that and I think a lot of people have health struggles and I think like dealing with it without also having like bad feelings about it Mm. is something that I have been working on a lot in the last couple of years like you can be in pain but you don't have to put the layer of like self-hatred or shame or anger about the pain which actually makes it worse yeah because sometimes people go through those health scares and challenges and it's kind of like sometimes they use it as a thing to get sympathy or just to do a woe is me, you know, I'm the only one that's going through this. Well, you don't really realize that there are a lot of people out there that go through even worse stuff than you do, but they, try not, they try not to show it just because they don't know who is watching them you know they don't know who they're inspiring because if somebody else sees them breaks down then that could derail somebody else's um you know trajectory in their life so that's that's um thank you for sharing that um, personal story i really appreciate that and um, if you were to start again is there anything that you'd have done differently knowing what you know now all kinds of things (laughs) Yeah, let's see. Uh, What's one big thing? Um, 
I think, I think I would have invested in some mentorship earlier. Okay. I've used, I've used coaches over the years, um, and have grown to develop an understanding of how useful they can be, but I didn't do it for the first few years. And I think I would have gotten much farther, much faster if I had some sort of coach working with me in the beginning. And um, why why do you think that is? What do you think a coach does? I I have a coach too, so I know what the benefit is for me. Yeah. But what what do you think that is? At starting out at the beginning, because at the beginning when you're trying to grind and just create that business, you you don't even know that there's a coach that can help. Exactly. You, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Well, that's exactly it. I didn't know what I didn't know, um, and you know all of the. All of the lessons that I learned, especially over those first couple of years, I learned by doing. And in some ways, I learned the hard way where I think if I had had a coach just asking the right questions, I could have bypassed, not necessarily not experienced those challenges or had those failures. That's not really what the coach is there for, not to you know avoid failure, but more like I would have been able to step outside of what I was doing and question it a little bit more. And I think I, I would have made a couple of decisions differently. I mean, we hired two employees when we had like $20,000 in the bank. And that was so much money to me at the time that that seemed like a lot. In retrospect, 